Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, this past weekend's deadly apartment fire in the Bronx serves as a tragic reminder about the dangers of supplemental home heating sources at this time of year. We'll speak with the state fire marshal. Also this morning, Congressman Bob Latta discusses his legislative priorities for the year ahead in Washington and the business of dry January. More Americans, particularly young people, are going booze-free, and craft brewers are cashing in on the trend with non-alcoholic options. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, January 11, 2022. It is Cigarettes Are Hazardous to Your Health Day. It was on this date that the Surgeon General uh, issued his report on uh, the dangers of cigarette smoking. Uh, On this date in, what was it, 1964, I think it was, mid-60s, the uh, original Surgeon General's report on uh, cigarettes and health. National Human Trafficking Awareness Day today. It is Learn Your Name in Morse Code Day. (laughs) I would think you would have to be really, really bored to do that today. But if you have nothing better to do, learn your name in Morse Code. National Milk Day. It is Secret Pal Day. And World Sketch Note Day. So, reasons to celebrate today. So a follow-up to the story that we had yesterday morning, Republicans have filed suit against a new New York City law that allows some non-citizens the right to vote in city elections. Not in state or federal elections, but in citywide elections in New York City, non-citizens are now allowed to vote. At least some of them. It applies to about 800,000 green card holders and other non-citizens who have the right to work in the U.S., including the so-called dreamers who were brought to the U.S. illegally as children. Uh, New York's city council approved the legislation last month, and Mayor Eric Adams allowed it to automatically become law without his signature on Sunday, although he did issue a statement. He didn't sign it into law, but he also did not oppose it. He issued a statement over the weekend uh, giving his support for the measure, even though he didn't technically signed it, uh, sign it, which is the politician's way of hedging their bets. But anyway... Not surprisingly, filing suit or a group of Republican New York City elected officials and New York's Republican chairman, they charge that it violates the state constitution, which says, and I quote, every citizen shall be entitled to vote at every election, provided they are at least 18 and a resident of the state, unquote, keyword resident. So how do you define that? I mean, certainly the green green card holders and dreamers are residents of the state, but legal residency is is the matter of debate. Republicans also contend that it violates state election law, which says that no person shall be qualified to register for and vote at any election unless he is a citizen of the United States, unquote, which is much clearer. There's a lot less ambiguity in the uh, state 
Constitution in the state of New York. City Hall spokesperson says they plan to vigorously defend the law in court. So stay tuned. But you knew that was going to happen. You knew that was going to happen when you heard about the uh, story that uh, New York City was going to allow non-citizens to vote. Hey, it is that time of year. Tax time. Tax season right around the corner. The IRS has announced that this year's tax filing season will begin earlier and end slightly later. <laughs> um, and they also say they are expecting a challenging season, in their words. The first date that the IRS will accept returns will be January 24th. That is 17 days earlier than last year. The deadline for filing this year, by the way, is April 18th which is three days later than usual due to the Emancipation Day holiday in Washington, D.C. and the weekend and the way that always, you know, jumbles the date. The IRS warned it will be a challenging filing season due to the COVID resurgence and resulting staffing shortages and because less funding from Congress than the administration had requested. IRS Commissioner Chuck Reddick said that to avoid processing delays, including delays in getting your refund, you want to file electronically, avoid using a paper return, and provide information for direct deposit of your refund. So that is always the advice. It will be even more important this year. So January the 24th is when tax season officially begins. Well, that is good to know. I always think it's crazy that uh, the holiday season of good cheer <laughs> is followed by followed immediately by tax season. It just seems kind of weird somehow. U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, is issuing a new caution uh, regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. There always has to be something new with COVID-19. The FDA is now cautioning against using self-collected throat swabs for those COVID-19 tests. They say people should only use the tests as the instructions tell them to. Apparently, this is a thing. People are trying to swab the throat instead of the nose. The swabs on the COVID tests are supposed to be nasal swabs. But some people are trying to do throat swabs as well. FDA spokesperson noted safety concerns regarding the self-collection of throat swabs as they are more complicated than nasal swabs and if used incorrectly can cause physical harm. You don't know what you're doing. You can actually hurt yourself. Although, I mean, I've had a COVID test. I've not done one of the self-tests, but I've had a COVID test and they just shove that swab up your nasal cavity is like they are trying to pierce your brain or something that seems like that could cause some physical harm as well but uh they say the nasal swabs are the preferred method for the home tests the cdc recommends that throat swabs be uh, collected only by trained healthcare providers and uh they say it may turn out that swabbing your throat is an effective way to gather a, a sample, 
but the data is just not there yet to suggest that it's any more accurate than a nasal swab anyway. So that is the word if you're doing one of those self-tests, nasal swabs. Don't try and give yourself a throat swab. By the way, speaking of the pandemic, vaccination is still the best way to protect yourself from COVID, but a new study suggests that immune system activation of T-cells by common cold, by the common cold, may offer some protection as well. Yes, you get the common cold, it may provide you some level of protection against COVID-19. This is a study from the Imperial College of London. Dr. Ria Kundu says, we found that high levels of pre-existing T-cells created by the body when infected with other human viruses like the common cold can protect against COVID-19 infection. Uh, Dr. Kundu added, quote, while this is an important discovery, it is only one form of protection. And I would stress that no one should rely on this alone, unquote. So again, best way to protect yourself is to be fully vaccinated, including a booster If you are eligible for one of those, the study might also provide a blueprint for second generation for a second generation universal vaccine that could prevent infection from current and future variants. So some benefit to the research, but that is very interesting. Some level of protection, even from the common cold, which would be good news because they say hopefully by. March, February or March, this current COVID resurgence that we're seeing with Omicron uh, may dissipate. And again, we can get back to normal at some point this year. But that's what they said last year, too. So we'll see. But uh, the more we learn, the more we know, better off apparently we are. And how about this? Among the first things you need to know this morning, finally... A TikTok challenge that is not going to kill you. A new trend is taking over the social media platform in which people peel raw eggs. (laughs) Peeling raw eggs. They call it the, appropriately, the egg peel challenge where people use toothpicks and cuticle pushers and tweezers. Uh, to separate the shell and the fragile membrane around the egg. If you do it right, you don't have a mess. You've got the membrane of the egg, which keeps it contained. You just peel away carefully the eggshell. There are instances of people succeeding in doing this with a perfectly unshelled egg membrane. Of course, it's much more common to uh, end up with uh, a mess on your hands, but hence the challenge. Uh, Challenge participants and viewers have described the activity as being oddly satisfying. (laughs) That's how they describe it. Oddly satisfying. They say it's uh, fun and even relaxing. Uh, As of Thursday evening, this past Thursday evening, the hashtag egg peel challenge had more than 14.9 million views on TikTok. So if you need, if you absolutely have to have a challenge, at least this is one that won't kill you. 
There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today, but a high only reaching about 28. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 24. The Finley Police Department says a man tossed baggies of drugs out a window as he led an officer on a short pursuit. The police department says an officer attempted a traffic stop on a pickup in the 1100 block of West Trenton Avenue, but the driver refused to stop and even cut off a vehicle in an attempt to elude the officer. The truck then came to a stop, and police say the 28-year-old driver was detained. He was booked at the Hancock County Jail for drug possession and other charges. Get more on our website. More than a dozen Ohio college students and employees have filed lawsuits against their universities, challenging what they say are unreasonable and discriminatory COVID policies. The plaintiffs are represented by Akron-based law firm Mendenhall Law Group and financially backed by a statewide advocacy organization that challenges vaccine mandates. The law firm filed similar lawsuits against Bowling Green University, Miami of Ohio, and the University of Cincinnati. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. And as spring semester gets underway at the University of Finley this week, they are not requiring vaccinations, but will continue to require that masks be worn indoors. The new year is not off to a promising start for Ohio's restaurant industry. John Barker, the president of the Ohio Restaurant Association, says the new Omicron variant and a shortage in staffing is forcing restaurants to close. I think most of us thought we wouldn't be into this. You know, by, by this time, we, we were hoping this would all be over. And so it's something that we'll have to take a look at with the state. It's another hit to restaurants, which were already struggling. I'm Roxanne Elias. The Finley-Hancock County Public Library is taking over Dolly Parton's Imagination Library after Hancock Literacy dissolved. Director Sarah Clevidence says the library is grateful to the dedicated individuals from Hancock Literacy who supported the Imagination Library through its first seven years. The program is successful because of their efforts. And because they have such a solid program, we're able to take it over and just look forward to being part of it. You can get more on Dolly Parton's Imagination Library and this transition on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, this past weekend's deadly apartment fire in the Bronx serves as a tragic reminder about the dangers of supplemental home heating sources at this time of year. We are joined this morning by Ohio's State Fire Marshal, Kevin Reardon, and in fact, Kevin, your office just a few days ago issued a reminder on this very subject. No sooner did that land in my inbox, but we got the story of nearly two dozen dead from what appears to be a malfunctioning space heater. It is so tragic. It is very tragic. And, you know, these fires are always tragic regardless of whether anybody's injured or anybody dies because they're, they're generally preventable fires. Yeah. What, you know, what really struck me about the uh, tragedy in New York over the weekend was the fact that the fire itself, from the reports that we've heard, the fire itself was contained to just a couple of floors. This 19-story building, the fire was on just a couple of floors, but it was the smoke that actually turned deadly, and uh, they said they were, there were victims on just about every floor of the building. Absolutely. Uh, people just suddenly don't understand the power that smoke has to travel from the source of a fire. So, you know, we are always trying to stress to people, uh, if you're in a room, in an office, in a building where there's a fire, you know, when you leave that space, close the door. Um, Closing the door certainly isn't going to stop the fire, 
but it's going to help keep some of the spread of the smoke out of the hallways and out of the rest of the building. And that's where people have problems. Now, now, fire officials uh, there in New York said that it appears the blaze started with a malfunctioning portable electric heater. But you say that that regardless of the type of uh, supplemental heat uh, that we're talking about, they all can be dangerous in their own way. Even a properly um, operating device, if it's used improperly, can be dangerous. And what I mean by that is uh, the simple phrase, space heaters need space. Uh, space heaters are common. Uh, there's a wide variety of them out there. Um, if you're going to buy a space heater, I would make sure that it is recognized by uh, a national standards group, such as the Underwriters Laboratory or some other national level organization. But even if you have that device, even if it has rated, if you don't have space around that space heater, um, it can cause a problem because it can ignite um, other materials that are too close to it. So. We recommend and tell people space heaters need space. Ideally, if you could have a minimum of three feet of space completely around wherever you're using the space heater, um, that's a good start. And even more space is better. You know, one of the other things when we're talking about uh, space heaters that they're fueled by uh, kerosene and such, uh, one of the most simple pieces of advice uh, it would seem to be very obvious, but again, you got to point it out just as one one example of some of the uh, safety precautions is to refuel it outside and not when it's hot. That would seem to be kind of a no brainer, and yet uh, you uh, always see uh, these types of issues that come up. Chris, you're absolutely correct. Uh, any 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 device like that, whether it's a kerosene heater or anything that has an electrically powered or gasoline powered um, engine, especially gasoline powered engines, that you're going to refuel. That engine is hot. Right. There's components on that engine that are hot. So you really want to wait until that that item has cooled down somewhat before you try to refuel it. And you never want to try to refuel that device inside your home because you probably shouldn't be using it inside your home. That's another issue we have right. is where people try to bring these kerosene heaters into their house. And when they do that, that creates carbon monoxide within the structure itself, and that is just as deadly as having the fire. Which uh, also brings up the point that even uh, a, a main heating unit, your HVAC system, uh, even though it is a permanently installed, and we we're talking about uh, the dangers of, of portable supplemental heaters, uh, even uh, your main heating source can be dangerous in the right conditions. It's These things need, uh, need attention from time to time as well. We recommend that everybody that has a, has a furnace uh, get it checked at least once a year. Most people do it in the wintertime to make sure that it's operating properly. And along with that, we also encourage people to have carbon monoxide detectors anywhere near where they have a source of natural gas, such as around a gas furnace uh, and other gas appliances. It's just added protection to let you know that something might be wrong. Uh, which leads to uh, the other uh, point to be made, along with all of the precautions that we can take in using heat systems safely. The reminder, once again, about the importance of of having alarm systems that are functional and having an escape plan. Absolutely, Chris. And, you know, we are always stressing smoke detectors. Um, we're stressing that people need to have smoke detectors because they save lives. But we also stress that you need to maintain your smoke detectors. Batteries and smoke detectors don't last forever. 
we recommend that you at least change your batteries once a year, either a holiday or someone's birthday that you're always going to remember, some one event that you're going to remember to check that detector, as well as test the detector monthly to make sure that it's working. And an escape plan also is just another wonderful tool to help buy you time and help you prepare to get out of your structure safely. You know, there are a couple of other uh, important points that you make that may very well go overlooked. One involves keeping fire hydrants clear of snow and ice in the wintertime in your neighborhood. It is, and this is different all over Ohio, but you know, anything that citizens can do to help keep snow from around the fire hydrants certainly helps their fire department if they have to use it. Um, it's, it's very easy for some hydrants, if they're close to the street, to get plowed over with snow. Sure. Uh, and the fire department really needs to have access to that hydrant for it to be used in an emergency. Yeah. So I would ask citizens, if they're able and if they can, please help your local fire departments to keep those hydrants clear so that they are safe and ready to use if we need them. Because otherwise, that's just more wasted time in terms of uh, you know, getting on scene to fight a fire. And you also point out that there are some additional precautions for those who live in mobile homes and manufactured homes. Yes, um, those, those in particular, those are structures that um, are unique in the way that they are built. Um, they don't inherently have a lot of fire resistance features within them, and some of the older homes have very few. So we really stress to, to those folks, make sure you have working detectors, make sure you maintain them, make sure you have a plan to get out, and along with that, make sure you have a plan to get two different ways out of that mobile home. Um, counting on just one way to get out of a structure, whether it's a residence, a hotel room, or an occupied building, or a mobile home, you need to have a backup in all of those cases so that in case your primary exit is blocked for mm -hmm. whatever reason, you can safely leave. Yeah. The bottom line is that statistically, this is the most common time of the year for house fires. The vast majority of those involve heating systems of some type, and uh, the time to check their safety is now, uh, not while they are in use. Absolutely. Uh, winter time is always a bad time for fires, and it's a bad time for fatalities. Uh, in any state, not just Ohio. So we really encourage people to take this seriously. Um, think about your smoke detectors. If you can't remember when they've been tested, test them. If they need batteries, replace them. Uh, if you don't have that escape plan. If you don't feel that you're prepared to take care of yourself, if there's a fire in your residence, your apartment, wherever you're at, um, think about correcting that. Um, do some what-if scenarios with yourself on how you would react if a fire were to take place and be prepared. All very important reminders. Again, uh, State Fire Marshal Kevin Reardon with us this morning. Kevin, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, now that we get past the celebration of the holiday season and the turning of a new page on the calendar, it's time to get down to the business of 2022. And joining us this morning is Congressman Bob Latta. Talk about his uh, legislative priorities for the year ahead in Washington. Congressman, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it, first of all. Let me, uh, let me just throw that uh, kind of open-ended question out there to you. Uh, what are your legislative priorities as we head into a, a new year in Washington? 
Well, Chris, thanks very much for having me on, and Happy New Year. Well, you know, we haven't gotten very much done here in Congress this past year. If you look back uh, with the Democrat leadership in the House and the Senate, very, very little has really gotten done. One of the number one things that I'm hearing from people across my district and also my wife's hearing it from her friends are, is about inflation and how inflation is cutting everything. You know, it's amazing when you think about that gasoline prices are up almost 60% from where they were a year ago. You look at uh, just basic things like beef, it's up about 20%, pork's up about 17%. You just look at all the basic things, and then you go to the stores. And how many store shelves are either not stocked or sparse? Because, you know, we have about 100 ships uh, still setting off the California coast that uh, haven't been unloaded. So, you know, I think it's really all the pocketbook issues that Americans are worried about, that we Mm -hmm. want to make sure that... uh, we get this inflation down, and one of the ways of doing that is we have to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, we, this government spending that the Democrats have done, is, this has got to end. And, you know, when they spend about $2 trillion about this time last year uh, on what they called COVID relief, and only about 9% of that was going into COVID, and, and today you have to even ask them, where'd that money go? And uh, because all of a sudden now we see shortages when it comes to uh, all the testing material and everything else that we need out there. So where's the money at? But uh, so, you know, we really look at on the inflationary side, uh, what I'm, I, you know, I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee. I'm very concerned, again, on energy issues. Uh, line 5, which is a line that comes from Canada that runs through the upper peninsula of Michigan down through the lower peninsula in Ohio. And then we also get uh, our uh, oil from that uh, mm-hmm. line. It could be devastating to us. I mean, we're talking about probably over four uh, to five billion dollars in economic impact, and what it impacts for you know folks that are getting propane. So, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the energy. I'm worried about you know the Democrats wanting to raise taxes, and uh, you know we we can't be doing things like that. So it's really making sure that we look at the pocketbook issues out there for our our, our all of our Americans. On the uh, topic of energy, and you mentioned Line Five. I know you we were talking about this uh, last year, uh, folks. Who remember several weeks ago, you had uh, introduced uh, legislation uh, that would uh, keep uh, Line Five from being shut down. Uh, now that we have gone into a, a new year, new session of Congress, is that going to have to be uh, reintroduced, or you know, what is the status of that? Well, uh, since it's, we're still in the same Congress, it's just a okay. session, so we're, we're, we're good to the end of the year gotcha. on all the legislation that's been introduced. But again, it's getting the Democrats to act. I know I had a meeting yesterday, because I'm the ranking Republican on the Telecommunications uh, Subcommittee in Energy and Commerce, and you know, last year we had about eight hearings total in our subcommittee. Take that to when we were in control, we had about 15. Uh, we just don't see the Democrats acting. And, you know, things that I'm worried about is rural broadband. Getting broadband out across uh, rural America is, is a big issue to me. And, I, and I've had uh, the uh, Federal Communications, I've had three different of the, uh, in the past, commissioners out to my district. And, you know, rural broadband is a huge issue for us out there because, again, you know, I always ask people, when was the last time uh, you opened up a Yellow Pages? Uh, people go on the Internet for searches and everything else. If you're a small business in a small community that doesn't have Internet service, you're done. And that means people move from those areas, and we want to keep people in a rural area. With respect to uh, rural broadband, the one of the pieces of legislation that did uh, pass Congress uh, last year was the uh, infrastructure plan, which included uh, quite a chunk of money to expand rural broadband. 
how will you look at uh i would assume being a part of the uh committee that uh, that you know oversees that uh there will be some influence on how that money is used i know that was one of the concerns that you had with that package was that there was not uh necessarily any um specific uh initiatives uh where that that funding was earmarked what would you be looking at in terms of uh distributing those funds to expand rural broadband in ohio and elsewhere around the country well, again, you're absolutely right. I have, and that's one of the reasons I voted against the infrastructure package because it really wasn't truly an infrastructure package. When you think about roads and bridges out there, money was going everywhere. Again, how they were spending it. But uh, you know, the the big issue is, is where, where, you know, where, where would it go? And I know I was on a uh, teleconference with the uh, the vice president, and uh, when the the uh, administration had wrote out their proposal, their proposal would say that 58% of American households today that have broadband would be considered unserved, not underserved anymore, and because of certain speeds. And I said, mm-hmm. look, if you do this, I, you know, the great concern is is that our rural area is going to be impacted because all of a sudden the money would be really funneled into the metropolitan areas, of which I really I didn't get a response except for, well, we'll look into it, and we never heard back. And when you look at the, you know, there's no oversight as to where this money is going to go. We could have overbuilding in areas that already have broadband, and that's what happened with the Biden or in the uh, Obama administration before, is they overbuilt. So federal dollars are going into areas that uh, private uh, companies had already been out there building, and all of a sudden had competition against them from the federal government. So, we, we, you know, uh, I'm, I'm concerned about that. But, again, if we don't have oversight, and, again, uh, you know, we have not had the FCC commissioners in before us, we, and these are the people we need to be talking to in committee uh, all the time, but the Democrats aren't bringing them in. On that, uh, on that same subject, you also have introduced uh, legislation that would prohibit municipalities from uh, launching broadband networks uh, on, uh, on their own. What is the logic uh, for that? Because, again, that would seem to be a pathway to servicing more areas, more consumers, not fewer. Well, again, we just want to make sure that, uh, you know, everybody's on an equal footing out there uh, from the private uh, side, that uh, we don't want to have, uh, you know, that all of a sudden government coming in and uh, into areas that uh, you have uh, uh, privates already there. So, you know, we want to, again, the the main thrust of what we want to get done is, and especially with the the legislation that we've introduced by Republicans or pending legislation that we want to get out there, is we want to get rid of this red tape that's out there and make sure that we can streamline the regulations, you know, just so we can get the broadband out across America. And we have about uh, over 20 bills that we have that cost anything. It's just pretty much which we don't talk about much here in Washington is common sense, is how we can get things done without a lot of red tape and streamlining things so you don't go through these long processes out there. So, uh, But broadband, again, when you think of telehealth, and I've got a couple pieces of legislation out there on telehealth services, especially one on during a, you know during the recent pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, and everything from uh, making sure that businesses can operate, people can uh, you know get uh, 
uh, and communicate with their loved ones, but it's it's in farmers because we know that on the on the agricultural side, because I did the precision agriculture legislation during with the, which was included in the last farm bill, it, which we know will really help uh, farmers be able to reduce their costs and help them on their bottom line. Uh, with respect to that, this is uh, another farm bill year, uh, is it not? So uh, folks be uh, in uh, agriculture be watching uh, very closely what uh, comes of that. Well, you know, the farm bills are really always important because, again, uh, you know, I always have to tell people, uh, when you say the word farm bill, it's not really a farm bill anymore because right. uh, I've watched since I've been here that only about 20% of it actually is agricultural, 80% of it's food stamps. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, some people say, oh, look at all this money being spent on agriculture. I said, no, wait a minute, uh, just take one-fifth of that now right. is uh, what we're talking about on the agricultural side. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I represent an area that is the largest farm income-producing district in the state of Ohio. I'm also lucky to have 86,000 manufacturing jobs. Uh, you know, where I've been out talking in our farm communities that, uh, you know, one of the issues they have out there is you know, containers. They can't get containers to be able to ship right now. And uh, because uh, what a lot of these companies are doing, especially the Chinese, they're shipping back to China, the, the ships to get them back quicker, uh, un- not loaded over here. And uh, we, we've got to make sure that our farmers can uh, compete across the globe right now. Again, uh, Congressman Bob Latta talking about uh, legislative priorities as we head into 2022 in the nation's uh, capital. And uh, real quickly, uh, you are in the final year of your current term. You are uh, planning on uh, running for re-election, I assume? Oh, absolutely. And uh, that uh, It's the greatest privilege uh, to be able to serve the people. And, you know, we have uh, the, the, legis- the state uh, General Assembly uh, was in charge of uh, redrawing our maps. But I'm very, very happy to, to say that uh, Hancock County will still be in the 5th District. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking forward to serving the, the people of the 5th District for another term. And I have to ask this uh, again very quickly here before we uh, cut you loose, uh, given that we have uh, just uh, had the uh, anniversary of the uh, January 6th uh, riot from a year ago, uh, which all uh, boiled down to uh, questions over election integrity. Are you satisfied that there will be no similar questions as we come up on the midterm elections? Well, you know, we, we all want to make sure, and you know, when you look at the state of Ohio, um, with uh, our Secretary of State here in Ohio has done, uh, Frank LaRose, you know, they really went in and delved in, especially in Ohio, looked at uh, the elections that looked for any types of fraud. And, uh, you know, I think that there will be a, a greater emphasis out there, making sure that uh, the people are aware that uh, we want fair elections uh, that uh, and that uh, every vote counts, and uh, because that's, that's our system. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident that uh, in the state of Ohio that uh, when uh, people go to the polls that, uh, uh, you know, their votes are going to be uh, accounted in the way they cast them. We will uh, leave it there. Again, uh, Congressman Bob Latta, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Two Los Angeles police officers will not be getting their jobs back after an appeal was denied by a California judge, Louis Lozano and Eric Mitchell, uh, 
ignored a request for backup on a robbery in progress call because they were busy playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) On the job. They were too busy playing Pokemon Go to backup a fellow officer. Uh, Robbery in progress. The pair originally said that they couldn't hear the call because they were in a loud area, but a supervisor checked their dash cam and found the two chose to go elsewhere instead because they were chasing the Pokemon. (laughs) Further review showed the officers discussing the game, including a Snorlax that appeared and the best route to get it and catch it. They were trying to catch the catch them all. <laughs> the officers <laughs> appealed their uh, termination on the grounds that in-vehicle recordings were not meant to monitor officers' private conversations. <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to use the uh, dash cam to uh, catch us doing things that we shouldn't do. That's not what those are for. <laughs> hey, judge called that reasoning flawed and threw the case out. They will not be getting their jobs back. (laughs) I can't believe they had the audacity to sue if they were ignoring a robbery call because they were too busy playing Pokemon. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Also out of Southern California this morning... Police have arrested a man for setting fire to a Chevron station in Anaheim. (laughs) Why would someone try and do this? Uh, Police responded to the scene. What's really crazy about this story is uh, what ended up transpiring. He tried to set the uh, gas station on fire. Police responded to the scene about 3.30 in the morning after reports of someone trying to set the gas pumps on fire. The station clerk ended up in a confrontation with the suspect who eventually entered the convenience store and lit the interior of the store on fire since he couldn't since he couldn't catch the gas pumps on fire apparently couldn't figure out how to do that which you would think that would be easier than trying to set fire to the interior of the store but that's what he did officers It says used non-lethal methods to subdue the man and pull him out of the building. And then the uh, fire was extinguished. The man suffered burns, was taken to an area hospital to be treated. He is now going to be charged with arson and assault with a deadly weapon. (laughs) Why? I'm just curious. What makes somebody think, hey, here's something. Here's something fun to do. Let's go set a gas station on fire. What's I don't get it. Anyway, I guess that's why I'm not a I'm not a criminal. Uh, Elsewhere in the broken news, residents of a Maryland home were in for a shock when authorities discovered a random man stuck inside their chimney. And this wasn't no Santa Claus. Uh, News reports are that the discovery came after the residents heard knocking coming from inside the home in the wee hours of the morning. Obviously, they were alarmed by this and called police. When officers arrived, however, they were not able to locate the noise. About an hour and a half later, the residents again heard a noise and requested emergency services respond a second time, thinking a burglary was in process. But when authorities arrived this time, they heard the voice of a man inside the chimney. (laughs) It's coming from inside the chimney. 
It took crews about two hours to strategically remove the, the bricks in the wall to extract the man who they believe had been stuck for about four hours. The man, the report notes, did not reside in the residence, and there was no mention of why he was in the chimney. <laughs> Police are investigating. No charges has been filed as of yet. <laughs> Again, what makes someone think, hey, here's an idea. Let's climb down the chimney. Never ends well. Uh, from the international file of the broken news, Norwegians enlisted in the armed forces in that nation will now have to return their used underwear after they separate from the service. And this is all because of supply shortages, according to Euronews, which broke this story. They're going to have to return their used underwear when they leave the military. The decision to reuse this part of the uniform will help us have more volume in circulation and increase the delivery capacity of the equipment. We have too little in stock. This according to a spokesman for the Norwegian Army Logistics Bureau, I guess. Uh, the linen is, they do point out that the linens are washed, cleaned, and checked. And what we redistrib- redistribute, re- redistribute is in good condition. However, uh, representatives for the soldiers criticized recurrent shortcomings that could affect operational capabilities. Severe shortages of equipment and clothing can potentially affect operational readiness. And in the worst case scenario, uh, affect the safety of the soldier. This is according to a spokesperson for the uh, soldiers themselves. In other words, they're not thrilled with the idea of getting used underwear distributed to them as part of their uniform. Imagine that. (laughs) That's pretty desperate right there. (laughs) Army life ain't no picnic, that's for sure. Not even in Norway. And finally, in the broken news this morning... While we started with a virtual reality game and the officers playing Pokemon Go, uh, while virtual reality games can be an amazing escape for humans, a farmer in Turkey has turned to the technology to keep his cows entertained. Is it Kocak? Says strapping two pairs of VR headsets to his cooped up cows (laughs) has them thinking that they are grazing in a peaceful meadow instead of just locked in their pens. And the relaxing scenes projected before the bovine's eyes has boosted their milk production. He has proof that this works. It takes two standard headsets to complete the effect for the cows, given the larger size of the cow's heads as compared to humans. But uh, Mr. Kochak's cows were outfitted with the technology with the help of local software developers and the projection of the open field, the cows see needed to be tweaked to the animal's vision, which doesn't see color as humans do. Instead of rolling green fields to a cow, they appear as dull shades of yellow and blue. The illusion works though, 
Mr. Kochak says his cow's production, milk production, went from 22 liters to 27 liters per day thanks to their more relaxed state. I can see a business opportunity here. That's actually pretty cool. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays. It can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the traffic center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, According to recent surveys quoted by Forbes magazine, one in seven Americans say they're going to give their livers a break and uh, partake in dry January. They want to go a month without consuming any alcohol. One in seven Americans are going to try to do this. However... A new survey of more than 2,000 people finds that more than half of those who plan to do so are likely to only last two weeks. (laughs) We don't give ourselves much much of a a chance on this, in other words. 21% say that they may last more than two weeks, but they ain't going to make it until February. (laughs) So that doesn't sound very encouraging. That's like three and four. Uh, admit that they probably won't make it. Now, the reason why dry January, according to the survey, has become popular, 43% say they are trying to stop drinking to improve their health. 36% say they want to lose weight. 35% just want to save money. It's become expensive, and they want to cut that out. As for what might lead them to fall off the wagon, as it were, 28% said having a bad day at the office is probably what will (laughs) undo undo their efforts to go dry for the month of January. 28% said having a bad day at the office. Now, if that sounds like you in these numbers, uh, take heart. The same survey finds that those who are... Uh, Trying other New Year's resolutions like to stay away from meat or from chocolate or, you know, change their diet in some other way. Don't expect their willpower to hold either. So you have good company. You are not alone. Well, you know, we were talking about this uh, just uh, the other day, the uh, dry January trend, uh, kicking off the new year by cutting out alcohol for an entire month. It is something that more and more people are embracing, but just because we're not drinking doesn't mean that the party has to stop. Joining us this morning to talk more about dry January and the rise of non-alcoholic beer and wine and spirits is the co-founder and head brewer of the athletic brewing company, John Walker. And uh, John, we had the uh, thing just a couple of days uh, ago, the uh, story that sales of non-alcoholic spirits were up 290% last year. 
why do you think so many people have embraced this? What do you, why, why, what is driving this? Why is it so popular? Well, for, for one, you know, people have been looking for a, a way to better what they put into their body for a period of time now. And so that's catching on. And I think that's a, that's, that momentum is going to keep going and people are just excited about bettering their bodies every single day. Another thing is that there are companies like us, like Athletic Brewing, who have dedicated years and years of time finding a way to make alcohol-free alternatives taste good. So now not only can you be at your best, but you can enjoy the same brews that just don't happen to have the, the effects that alcohol has. So what is the what is the difference now? Because non-alcoholic brews and spirits and such have been around for a long time. They are not new. They predate the trend of dry, uh, dry January, certainly. Uh, so what is different about them now? What has changed? Yeah, 100%. So they've been around for a very long time. And I think that was the thing is that nobody had really innovated in that space in decades. So what Athletic Brewing and the original founder, Bill Schufelt, set out to do about five years ago was create a method that can elevate the flavor and experience of non-alcoholic beers so that it was more on par with what was happening in craft beer in general, where you've got all these amazing styles, IPAs, sours, stouts, fruited beers, things of that nature. So you could have all of those that taste just as good as their alcoholic counterparts. And so that's what Athletic did. You know, we spent about two years doing research and development on how to make that beer taste great, look great, and feel great, and just not have any of the effect. So now, as we mentioned, you know, that that uh, statistic, uh, non-alcoholic brews up 290% last year, uh, Athletic Brewing Company, your uh, brewing company, one of the fastest growing, <coughs> excuse me, one of the fastest growing breweries in the country. Do you do both? Uh, alcoholic, traditional alcoholic, and non-alcoholic beers, or is it uh, just strictly non-alcoholic brews? Just strictly non-alcoholic. We have two dedicated breweries and soon a third dedicated brewery that is just doing non-alcoholic beers. So mm. our incredible growth and is is just based on non-alcoholic beer. And currently, we're about forty five percent of the total craft non-alcoholic market. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. And uh, again, so you are all in uh, on this uh, non-alcoholic uh, brew uh, thing. And as we mentioned, you know, despite the the eye popping numbers in terms of year over year growth. Uh, it's still a pretty small segment of the market overall. Talk a little bit about the future of non-alcoholic brews. Yeah, you said it right there. And I think one of the biggest things is that people are now growing their businesses to accommodate for growth. You know, currently, non-alcoholic beer in the United States represents about 2% of overall beer sales. And if you compare that to European markets where it's anywhere between 10, even upwards of 20% of the entire beer market, hmm. there's just an incredible, there's just tons of room for growth. And as people catch on more and more and recognize that what they're after is just flavor and experience and not alcohol, 
um, I think the category is just going to explode for decades to come. And you have actually won uh, taste awards at uh, some major beer competitions, uh, both in this country and globally, I'm told. So what does that tell you about people's willingness to uh, experiment or or, uh, venture into this space? I think winning awards on that level, on the international scale, and you know, at the international beer competition, we won best in show, and that was compared to alcoholic and non-alcoholic beers alike. And so, what that does is kind of break down the stigmas that existed for the the creators, and they recognize that um, non-alcoholic beers are being judged on the same level, the same scrutiny, and are just as fun and complicated to brew as their alcoholic counterparts. So. It's really permission people to get out there and be creative and challenge themselves to, you know, further expand their repertoire and brewing and process and just yeah. recognize that there's a ton of growth in in beer in general yet to come. What about that process uh, of brewing? Is it more complicated? Is uh, obviously I would guess there are additional steps uh, to producing your product as uh, compared to a traditional brew. Are there not, or is it completely different? I mean, talk about that, that, that process a little bit. Yeah. So our process is unique from most traditional non-alcoholic brewing because we don't remove anything ever. Okay. Um, I often say one of the most challenging, one of the most challenging things we do is nothing. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that we do do and have to pay close attention to is food safety which makes barrier to entry pretty high because your knowledge of food safety and shelf stability and the, you know, micro world mm-hmm. has to be super high. You answer to the FDA and you really have to consider pasteurization so that your beer is shelf stable when it doesn't have that ethanol as a preservative. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. Uh, and, and do you see this, like we said, we talk about this in the context of dry January where people, um, you know, sign on for a month. Do you envision the time? Well, obviously you do when this is more than just a dry January. You don't make all your money in one month out of the year. No, not at all. And that's that's what's great about Athletic. You can actually go onto our website and get a subscription. So you get fresh beer dropped at your door every single month, every two weeks, whatever your cadence is. And so you can just enjoy this effortlessly and right now if you like you can get 50 percent off on our website <laughs> we'll get the plug in uh again uh, john walker is the uh, co-founder and head brewer of the athletic brewing company specializing in non-alcoholic beers for dry january and beyond and where do we get uh, more information mention the website uh athleticbrewing.com simple as that john thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it yeah i really appreciate your time thank you And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also sign up for our daily email newsletter. Great way of keeping track of what we're talking about every day on the show. Connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share goodmornings.net until tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning going out and make it a good day we'll catch you back here tomorrow